nice to be with you. My name is Greg Fondell, and uh, I'm uh, actually a father of Sarah and, and uh, Michael Van Dyken, who are regular attenders here. And Kirsten and I, my wife and I, attend here quite often, too, and it's a real privilege to be with you. And uh, I'm also, uh, it's a privilege to fill in for Rob. I'm giving you some sense about what Rob's going to look like when he's 80. And uh, it's, you know, a little scary, but he's got a long way to go. So um, we get to talk today a little bit about parenting. And uh, it's not, uh, not for nothing that uh, my children and my wife are not here this morning. So <laughs> there's nobody to really verify that I actually know this stuff. So. But uh, it's a privilege to share with you in this Proverbs series. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would be the center of all our attention this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. A psychologist named David Heller set out to study children's attitudes toward God, and he interviewed hundreds of 4- to 12-year-olds and asked them to draw pictures and write letters and to answer questions about God. And he found a common thread that ran through all of their observations. See if you can pick it up. Seven-year-old drew a picture of himself sitting on the floor with God, and he was playing a board game. And when Heller asked him what game they were playing, the boy said, life. A nine-year-old girl said, I love God so much, it's hard for me to put into words. I'd like to be in a palace with him in heaven, but not yet. Twelve-year-old wrote, Dear God, I had exams this week, and I'm nervous about what I got on them. I know you can't help me since they're already, already done, but maybe you could. Tell Aunt Mary I said hi. I'll talk to you later. As varied as those responses are, the children's readiness to relate to God on a personal basis, to include him in their lives and in their daily experience, runs through all of their observations. Robert Coles wrote in his book, The Spiritual Life of Children, how young we are when we start wondering about it all, the nature of the journey and the final destination. Psychologists tell us that the moral and spiritual development of children begins at about age two that by nine, many of the foundations of faith have been laid, and that most of what a child believes by age 13, he or she will believe for the rest of their lives. They want to know about God. They want to know if they're loved. They want to know if they matter. Evangelism strategists talk about the 4 to 14 window, referring to the age span when people are most likely to come to faith in Christ. Proverbs 4. 3 through 4 says, When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, my father taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. This morning I'd like to share with you some contemporary perspectives about raising children. Some popular parenting parable, or proverbs, proverbs, excuse me, and compare them to the wisdom of the biblical Proverbs. First popular parenting proverb is this. He who has the biggest birthday party with the bouncy castle and the pony rides and the face painting and the balloon twister will be blessed and find joy and contentment. To the deep question asked by children, am I loved? 
too often we respond by getting them a lot of stuff. There's often a competition, subtle competition, between parents to see who can have the best-dressed kids with the newest toys and the most trips to Disney World. You see, our culture says that if our kids are gaining an advantage, that somehow we are gaining that too as parents. If they score well on their SAT tests, it confirms our superior gene pool. If they make the varsity, we can brag a little bit louder about the good work habits that we've imparted to them at our booster clubs. David Elkine writes, if it is done well, child rearing requires more than most activities of life, a decentering from one's own needs and perspectives. Children are not the means for us to achieve status or vicarious success. God doesn't give us children so that our needs will be met. God blesses our lives with children so that their needs are met. Raising our kids is not a competition to be omnimom or turbo dad. Proverbs 15:16 says, "Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil." Lavishing gifts and trips upon our kids is not essential to letting them know that they're loved. A parent has a primary responsibility to a child. And it's not to the body, it's not to the mind or the imagination of a child, it's to the heart of a child. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want our kids to understand authentic faith, it starts with us. A love for God must permeate the parent. That word permeate, it means to pass through the pores of something. My love for God should pass through the pores of my life so that it will become real to my kids. It's impossible for me to pass along a principle that I don't personally embrace. It's impossible for me to stress to my children the importance of not cursing if my language is profane. It's impossible for me to teach the values of compassion and grace if they don't see that in my relationships with them, with their mother, with our church family, with our neighbors, with the needy. It's impossible for me to communicate the dangers of abusing drugs and alcohol if I have an increasing dependence on chemical substances. The same is true for our love for God. It's impossible for me to convey the significance of a relationship with Christ if that devotion doesn't permeate my life. Nothing happens through us that isn't happening to us. Proverbs 27 says, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. We must walk with God before we can knowledgeably teach our children about him. No child comes to know Christ instinctively. A relationship with the Lord is not intuitive. It must be modeled, must be taught. If kids see their parents habitually loving God, they'll learn the same behaviors and lifestyle, and children are remarkable imitators. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 affirms this. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. 
Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you rise up. Let's look at another popular parenting proverb. Put your child into a pressure cooker so that they will succeed. Push them to excel in the future. Teach them to never be satisfied with who they are in this moment. To the deep question asked by a child, do I matter? We subtly convey a response. You really don't matter very much now. Only what you accomplish and who you become in the future matters. Parents have a lot of fear that if we don't push our children that they might fail. We're driven to panic by the thought that my child might be missing the boat. Don't we all cringe a little bit when we see some four-year-old who has mastered the harpsichord on America's Got Talent? Or a 60 Minutes piece about Wall Street's newest eight-year-old pork belly mogul? Hey, my kid is 10, and she doesn't even have her own TV reality show yet. Young children, more than any single group, have had to bear the brunt of huge cultural changes. Mobility, globalization, redefined family structures, technology that often outruns ethics and morality, social and political polarization, shifting attitudes toward everything, including who they are. In his book, The Disappearance of Childhood, Neil Postman wrote, if you look at the tastes and clothing and language and sexuality and criminal activity of our children, you find them becoming more and more indistinguishable from adults. In many ways, we're pushing them toward adulthood. They watch the same sex and violence and horror on television and movies. They have the same sense of the incivility of our political candidates. They worry about the catastrophes and scandals of our world. They learn adult secrets at a very early age. They're driven to become conspicuous consumers. Revlon, L'Oreal, Max Factor, and Estee Lauder are creating new lines of beauty products for an eight-year-old target demographic. When children see us as or when we see them as status symbols, when children are equal decision makers in the home, when children become counselors and confidants to upset parents, something is amiss. Jesus gave one of his most stern warnings in Matthew 18.6. He said, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. And you can hear the edge in his voice. Those who put stumbling blocks in their paths, those who make it harder for them to know and to follow Christ, put themselves, along with their children, in spiritual peril. Proverbs 14, 26 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. For every generation, children have represented a concrete way of visualizing the future. They embody so many of our plans and hopes and dreams. And it's a right desire to equip them to become good students, good workers, good spouses, 
good citizens. But in this brief passage of childhood, we have the privilege of walking alongside them as they discover their world, as they explore relationships, as they begin to know who they are. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I wonder if we could slow down just a bit to recover the childhood so that it will once again flourish in our children. Another popular parenting parable, proverb, I mix that up every time, sorry about that. Give in to your child's every whim. Never say no because this may cause your child not to like you anymore. Perhaps you've seen the film or read the book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Veruca Salt, who was one of the children who had a golden ticket to an incredible candy land. And as each new wonder was unveiled to her, she shouted, I want it, Daddy! I want it now! And her father always responded, Of course, dear. Daddy will buy it for you, Veruca, darling, as soon as he can. And then she then wailed, No, Daddy, I want it now! Amusing at first. But after a few scenes of this, it's a little bit like chewing tinfoil. There's hardly anything more painful for parents than being rejected by your child. But how many of us fear the disapproval of our children more than God's? Have we allowed ourselves to become slaves to the whims and the whines of our kids? Have we abdicated our responsibility discipline. Scripture exalts childlikeness, the openness, the transparency, the loyalty, the teachability and joy of children. In fact, Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Because children give their hearts. But Scripture also warns about childishness the foolishness, the selfishness, the rebellion of children. Yet our culture makes very little distinction. There is a belief that there is an inherent goodness and genius in children, and that if meddling adults would just leave them alone, they will naturally become wise, strong, loving people. However, Proverbs 29.15 says that an unstructured, pleasure-driven Childhood brings disaster. It says, a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Sadly, our prisons are populated by such children. Proverbs 22.15 reminds us that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's not their fault. They're born that way as we all are. They're simple and they're sinful. But to abandon children to that foolishness It's irresponsible and dangerous. They must be trained. Their appetites must be tamed. Proverbs 20.11 says, Every child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is really pure and right. There is a lot of emphasis in the book of Proverbs on discipline. Proverbs 3.11 and 12 Do not reject the Lord's discipline and don't get angry when he corrects you. The Lord corrects those he loves 
just as parents correct the child they delight in. Proverbs 13, 18, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, listen to my son, listen to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your father's, your mother's teaching. They will be like a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Perhaps one of the most familiar is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. The Hebrew word for train expresses the idea of narrowing. When we train our children, we are directing their conduct from the broad road of sinfulness to the narrow road of godliness. As parents, we have the responsibility of keeping our children on the right track and keeping them from being sidetracked. Proverbs 29, 7. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. Parents must be in charge, even when it's hard, even when it's heartbreaking. Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are careful to discipline them. This verse is not a justification for nor a sanctification of child abuse. The rod in this context represents any form of discipline. The verse can be translated, those who refuse to discipline hate their children. And that doesn't do any violence to this text. The 23rd Psalm reflects on God's character saying, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd uses a rod to steer the sheep, to keep them on the right path. And there's a great deal of division in the Christian community about the use of physical punishment. But discipline must always be about what's best for the child. Be very careful that your method of discipline isn't an outlet for your own frustration. Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. I believe that hitting and yelling are ineffective ways of shaping the character and faith of our kids. The experts tell us that the most secure children are raised not by authoritarian parents who rule with an iron fist, but by authoritative parents who have clear expectations and requirements of their children, who are consistent with discipline and consequences, but who are also open to dialogue and process. Proverbs 8.32, now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. The limits that we impose upon our children should be somewhat like a flexible fence. It isn't so rigid so as to not allow some give when they push against it. But like all fences, it sets a boundary. If crossed or allowed to be trespassed, Consequences should be expected. Proverbs 24, 3, it takes wisdom to have a good family. And it takes understanding 
to make it strong. One last popular parenting proverb, this one. Be on the alert lest your children ever leave you. Demand that they include you in every discussion and decision throughout their lives. Guess what? Your kids really don't belong to you. They belong to God. Proverbs 20, 24, the very steps we take come from God. Otherwise, how would we know the way that we're going? The family is a divinely ordained idea. It isn't some arbitrary cultural institution that comes and goes. It isn't a biological mechanism that happens to be a handy method for passing on DNA to restock the genetic pool. Families are foundational. Our homes are the primary training grounds for growing people into whatever they will become. The family was created to be a reflection of the character of God, a vehicle of his grace, a manifestation of his kingdom. Imagine this conversation between God and his angels. One day God said, I have an idea. I'm going to create a family. One of the angels asked, well, what's a family? And God answered, the family is going to be the way that I connect people, how I bind them together in love. And here's how it's going to work. Adult people will sign up to take care of a tiny little stranger. Another angel asked, are they going to get paid? God said, no, actually, that little stranger is going to cost them a lot of money. At first, the little stranger won't even know how to talk. It will just cry and scream, and they'll just have to guess why. And it will cause them to lose sleep and make messes that they'll have to clean up, and it will be completely vulnerable. They'll have to watch that little bugger 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then when that little stranger is about two years old, it will learn to say with adamance words like, no, and mine. And it will throw tantrums now and then. And then I'm thinking, later on, I'm going to create puberty. Strange things called hormones are just going to go crazy. And the little stranger will get pimples, and their voices will crack. And the limbic systems are just going to melt down. Then, just when the little stranger becomes mature and beautiful and interesting and able to contribute it will move away from the adult people who have been caring for it. So that's my idea. What do you think? (laughs) By this time, the angels are all staring at their golden slippers. Nobody wanted to tell them that they thought this was a terrible idea. Finally, one of them did ask, well, why would anybody ever sign up for that? Why would they do it? And then God got real excited, and he said, that's the cool part. They won't even know why. They'll just look down at those little hands and feet and they'll think this tiny little stranger is the most amazing thing they've ever seen. And one day the little stranger will smile at them and they won't even have words to describe how that makes them feel. And later the little stranger will say mama or dada and they'll think they won the lottery. And then one day those little arms will cling tightly to them 
and those adult people will really know the reasons that arms were made. Putting his reputation in our hands, God takes an incredible risk when he gives us those little strangers. Children are a reward, not because we've earned them, but because God is wondrously good. Children are God's assurance that his story will keep on going on. Proverbs reminds us to treasure these little strangers and to teach them the best thing we know, just to love God. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25, the father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. I like to imagine God looking over every child that he sends into the world and carefully considering the families where they'll be placed. There was a girl in a youth group I used to work with named Poppy. Marcy knows Poppy. She was a lovely girl who'd been adopted as an infant, brought to this country from Korea. Poppy had cerebral palsy. Her mother accompanied her every Sunday morning and Wednesday night and set her in place in our youth room. And once there, she would smile and laugh and read her Bible and ask and answer questions. And during the prayer time, she would list the needs of her family and her friends. And then timidly, she would add, please pray for me. And when we finished, her mother would be waiting at the door with crutches or with a wheelchair, whatever was required by her condition. And they would talk, and they would laugh as they made their way back upstairs and out to the van. And I thought, wasn't God wise to give this child to such a mother? There was a man named Tom who was a member of a church where I was pastor. He was married to Heather, a beautiful, loving, energetic woman. And I got to know them when they asked if I could participate in the dedication of their children three-year-old Eli, and two-year-old Hannah. And I was so impressed by their faith and by the kinds of dreams that they had for their kids. Two months after the dedication, Heather was killed in a car accident. And suddenly, Tom was left alone to raise these children. And he pushed down his own searing agony and gently helped Hannah and Eli rebuild their worlds. I saw him at a grocery store a few months after Heather's death, weary dad with two little ones who were facing their first Mother's Day without a wife and mommy. And with tears pooling in his eyes, he said, I never knew. I never knew how much she did for us. But Tom was doing all he could to help his children to achieve their mother's dreams for them. And I thought, Wasn't God good to place these children with such a father? Pat's dreams for her son were rewritten only a few seconds after his birth. Was it an accident or a complication or a doctor's negligence? Questions haunted her, and they still do 35 years later. But God had given her a son, and God would help her to face the challenges For her husband, the demands were too hard to bear, and with a broken spirit, he left them a few years later. 
But those who know Pat are astonished to see what she does on a daily and hourly basis for her son, Nathan. She talks openly now about the fear that she may not be able to care for him by herself much longer. But she's quick to add, God has been sufficient for every day so far. God will be sufficient for this day. And I thought, wasn't God wise to give this son to such a mother? My wife Kirsten and I were given three little strangers. We're so glad that they could see and hear and run and jump. We've been so fortunate that we've never had to bear the grief of having a huge part of our lives torn away. I'm so grateful that I've never had to stay awake at night listening to the labored breathing, wishing that I could do it for them. I don't know why we've been spared those fates. Nor do I know why we've been given the privilege of parenting when others have known the heartbreak of childlessness. But I do know that because God was so kind to us as to give three little strangers to our care, he expects us to be the parents who will love them like he loves them. They deserve the same diligence in attending to their needs, the same unconditional compensation, the same unrelenting grace. They're on loan to us for a while. One day God will ask me, Greg, what did you do with your inheritance? Did you treasure them? Did you provide care for their bodies and minds and souls? Did you discipline them and shape their character? Did you build their skills and confidence? Did you teach them about me? Did you show them how to love and forgive? Did you let them go? The melancholy mission of parenting is letting them go. We don't raise our children to remain children. We raise them to become adults. We equip them, and then we let them go. It's said that God has no grandchildren. It isn't enough to be born into a believing home, to be brought to a believing church. Every child has to choose to follow Christ. I pray that your children and my children will see that we have put Christ in the center of our lives. Jesus said, don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. And then gathering the children into his arms, he put his hand on them and he blessed them. That's our work in the time when they are with us. To bring them to Jesus, to embrace them and to bless them as he does. Do that every day. Let it be so. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of children, for what they show us about ourselves, for what they reveal to us about who you are, for the wonders that they are, for the joy that they bring us, and also for the hope that through them your story goes on. As parents, Lord, we ask that you would give us the assurance that 
we are accompanied by your Spirit, that we can come to you when we are worried and weary and heavily burdened, take our yoke with you so that you will lighten our load and that you will ease those burdens. Bless this family, this church, this wider community of God's, God's love and grace. And bless the families that are represented here, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, single people, moms and dads, children, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. Thank you for knitting us together as we love each other and as we join together in a glorious song of love to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for worship today. We wish you a happy holiday weekend. Uh, Be safe, uh, but celebrate as well. And I want to mention to you as well that uh, I I believe Rob will be back next Sunday. And uh, so things will slip back into a a more familiar gear too. too. Would you please receive this benediction? Go forth into the world, into the streets of this world. Go forth in the memory of now when you've refreshed yourselves in the presence of God and his spirit. Go with the intention to be faithful to Jesus, to carry his love and extend it to your family, to your friends, to those you meet along the way who are in need. Go with courage and with the resolve not to sin and go with the exciting reminder that at any moment, Jesus Christ may come again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a good Sunday.